Hello and welcome to I Spit on Your Grades, a very special edition of I Spit on Your Grades, a series of firsts this week. Before I go any further, though, let me introduce my co-hosts, Faye. Hello. And Mercer. Bonjour. How are we two? Are we both okay? We're at the tail end of Hangover City here, so we're just going to brush past that. No one wants to hear about another Hangover, do they? No. I'm fabulous, thanks, Chris. I spent my morning watching some very, very select films for a very, very good reason, which I'm sure you're going to share. I am going to share. As I say, no talk of hangovers, no misery, no downbeatness. This is a first for us, or two firsts for us. It's our first franchise films we're doing the best of. With the impending release of Spiral from the Book of Saw, we thought what better time to go back and revisit the Saw franchise. With that many films to choose from, we felt the need to bring in reinforcements. Fresh from So Home, finishing last week, an absolutely spectacular run, but now sitting around the house with nothing to do, we have got Mitch Harrod. Hello, Mitch. Hello, bringing back the Amanda Young hairstyle right here as well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> also, evidence that when you're adding a Mitch to group conversations, you need to check which one it is. It's a first-time welcome for Strong Language and Violent Scenes co-host, Mitch Bain. Hello. It's Mitchy B. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this. This is very exciting for us, too. We're, like, mingling with stars now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for everyone offering up their suggestions for their picks for the Saw films and the fact that I spent the whole week watching through the uh, backlog. Not not all of them. Maybe one you didn't watch. There was one that nobody, no one picked Jigsaw, surprisingly. I'm not going to, absolutely no shot. That is in no way a spoiler. No one was going to pick it. I should also say that because we're talking the sequels, no one has gone for the original Saw because that is just a slam dunk victory that that would be a winner surprise surprise chris didn't pick it you know given his choices in the past we we'll just put the poll up and you can just vote for yourself it's fine <laughs> one time <laughs> one time i did it you really are doing the opposite of your norm today chris aren't you it's almost the thou doth protest too much by picking the opposite of the audience <laughs> favorite movie. let's get the ball rolling though mitch harrod we're gonna have to come some kind of system just to differentiate the Mitches. So, Harrod. Um, I will I will henceforth be referred to as M. Dizzle. Mitch, do you have a moniker you'd like to be known under? Uh, yes, M. Dizzle. Thank you. No, um, uh, just, just, I can go by Bane if you prefer. Bane! Were you born in the darkness? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, I, I won't do an impersonation. Uh, I don't send enough like Sean Connery to do a good Bane impersonation. Jesus, I didn't realise that was Sean Connery. He got buff, man. <laughs> impressive for a dude in his 60s to snap Christian Bale like a twig. I guess I'm going to kick this motherfucker off then. So for my choice, I'm going to rewind the tapes all the way back to 2005, where we find ourselves at the most seminal, formulative and influential entry to not only the Saw series, and yes, I am saying it's more structurally and aesthetically influential than Saw 1, come at me bros, but also much of the wider torture porn subgenre that it went for to inspire does it make it the best entry we shall see because my pick for the best saw film is darren lynn barrisman's saw 2 pause for a saws <laughs> i mean what other entry features amanda young's pioneering soccer mum karen gone emo haircut what other entry has jigsaw giggling at his own word puns 
what <laughs> other entry defined a generation of horror marketing with the, oh yes, there will be bloodline. Mm-hmm. What other entry, these go on by the way, what other entry delves into the jigsaw mythos without going into the insane masturbatory detail of what series of America's Next Top Model is his favourite and what childhood bully called him a pork scratching as a kid. It is restrained, it has a modicum of self-respect, but most importantly, what other saw entry answers the age-old question, what the fuck is an Obi? <laughs> what the fuck is an Obi? Saw 2! Saw 2, mate, I love this film so much. I love it so much. And considering it moves at such a ridiculous pace and clip, has so many characters across its multitude of locations and timelines and has a tumultitude of like unpredictable twists. That's a new word. Uh, it never feels convoluted or rushed. It's just this pure shot of adrenaline. I love it. And especially, we, so we've got like James Wan duck walking off to do Dead Silence and play around with another little puppet, but he's left the toilet seat warm and Darren Lynn Bowsen is slithering in with a pre-prepared dump because, first Saw trivia fact, and I know um, other Mitch has many in his canon as well, but Saw 2 was actually based on a script that Bowsen originally had. I think it was called The Desperate, maybe? It was. Which is really cool, because like, Lee Wanell still tinkered with it and retrofitted it into the Sawiverse. But I think it's really, really cool, especially when you think of how fittingly Sawish this whole thing feels and mm-hmm. how undeniably influential it is. So yeah, kind of preconceived film that's been fit into the Saw universe. Shall I maybe do an attempt to summarise the film? I think we need it in places so people are reminded just which ones they are. Well, I'm now happy that I've picked Saw 2 because this one's <laughs> a little bit easier than subsequent entries, but it's still got some crazy going for it. So we've got Eric Matthews, who's this kind of no-rules cop who, following a crime scene clue, discovers Jigsaw in a steel factory. But it was all a plan! It was Jigsaw's plan all along, um, as John Kramer unveils, with real fabulous curtain pulling a plume, uh, a series of surveillance cameras uh, that show eight people trapped in a house one of which is dun 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 Eric Matthews' son, and another is dun dun dun. No, not Natalie Imbruglia. It's Amanda Young from the verse, reverse bear trap fame. She's like full on sister act two back in the habit, forced back into the role, and she is not happy about it. Um, so those are kind of like our two running plots. We've got cop plot, trap plot, and it's like a race against time with whether Eric can work out how to get his son out. Or can the eight people escape the house, uh, which is basically one big Rue Goldberg death trap device, uh, before they succumb to the traps or this nerve agent gas that's pumping through the ventilation system. And that's the film. Good traps into. Re- I don't want to get into traps pretty early, but some really good uh-huh. traps into. We're here for the traps. Let's just go into the traps. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> ne- ne- Needle Pit, whilst not, as you learn, actually posing any threat. I mean, I'm probably I don't mean- know. <laughs> They might not have thrown her in. So the needle pit is obviously meant to be Xavier's test because he's like a drug pusher, right? But was it maybe, as we might later find out in something to come, was it John doing a double bluff and actually intending that trap to be a test for Amanda? Because she's obviously historically a junkie as well. Maybe, maybe, who knows? Regardless, undeniable, it's fucking horrible. It's so simple and gnarly. I think as complicated as these traps get when he's like buying roller coasters and train tracks <laughs> in the future, um, just a hole in the ground full of needles. That's a lot of needles he's got. He's got. He's gone and robbed a few sharp spins to get it those is, as well. It's it's 120,000 fake needles in that pit. Jeez. Oh. Whoa. It was also not enough. Um, they still had to beef that hole out with styrofoam for uh, 120 grand to fill it. He would have got the needles from Jill, from yeah. her job. 
Presumably. Why are they all so dirty? Having seen a lot of needles put very personally, having kind of worked in kind of similar roles to Jill in the past, they don't immediately look like they've been dipped in shit. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm right. I'm going to be controversial. Junkies aren't the most clean people here, but they don't shoot up heroin in a pit of gravy. So something's <laughs> going on there. Maybe you just say it was a double bluff. Maybe it's the styrofoam. Maybe someone's got a deep fear of non-perishable packaging. Ah, that's it. I fucking hate styrofoam. That noise that those little bastard balls make against against each other. No. Heroin needles over styrofoam any day. If they did um, get it from Jill's work, then that is a lot of office supplies to steal at once. Like, if I stole 120,000 staplers from my office, they'd notice. I wish it was a pit of staplers. That would be funny. <laughs> ah, that pinched! <laughs> The, um, the whole mucky thing, it's Kramer's aesthetic through and through. It's like he buys up all these places to shove them in and torture them. And it's almost if he intentionally goes for the muckiest looking places. And yeah. everything nice and clean. It's never like, I mean, even the hotel that he gets the trap in in four. Four, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just as dirty. He's always got a brand in mind. I want to see Jigsaw's Pinterest board. Because everything is like the traps are obviously thought out as we find out in three, like how ridiculously ahead of himself he is. But like you say, even down to the look, even down to the first one where he's drawing a little heart and shit on the toilet system, he knows what he wants the film to look like or his kill scenes to look like. He he's a queer icon. He's I'm sorry, I know this is the thing I do on every single podcast I talk about where I just reclaim someone as being a queer icon, but Jigsaw is because <laughs> She has got a flair for the theatrics, whether it's that beautiful chiffon nightgown robe that he's wearing when Eric comes and finds him. Like I said, when he pulls off and unveils the security cameras with like a perfectly timed whoosh. Symbolism, baby. That's what that is. It is symbolism to show that everything underneath that on the screens is theatre. You are, it's, it's a play, mm. you're not watching the real thing. The reason mm-hmm. he wears the gown, it's a character for him. It's a, you know, yeah, it's fabulous. Because yeah. all the locations are so filthy, I like the idea of him kind of like doing a like location, location, slash um, escape to the country type thing, but he buys pristine properties and he's like, well, this is a real fixer upper, then buys it and just immediately starts smearing shit on the walls. <laughs> could he not, <laughs> a lot could he of work to do, him? but it's got good bones. <laughs> That swimming pool looks like a lot, a lot of needles. Good <laughs> We said they should bring in Lawrence Well and Bowen to help with it. Talk about traps, just quickly. When they raid Jigsaw at the, at the start, and they go in, and we have the one where the copper's cut off at the knees when he steps on the... when he puts plants his feet, which looks great. But mm. at that point, most police, most police forces or anyone would go, shit, everyone, watch out, there's booby traps everywhere. But they got on the radio go, quick, everyone, rush in. <laughs> like, the, right, the opening trap, the Venus flytrap, is so fucking cool in itself, just as a natural callback to the reverse bear trap, in a way, and getting actually to see it work this time. I love it. And the fact think- that his key is buried behind his eye, gnarly. It's great. It's really great. One of the problems with Amanda's bear trap is that she has to get the key out of a loved one and all kind of kind of the, the mantra of a lot of the sword traps are you have to make a personal sacrifice. And you could argue, is she really making a personal sacrifice, especially as a, as, as a drug user who has historically used other people? Is she going to care so much about hurting someone else when that's something mm. she's done historically? And yeah, it, it kind of dilutes that one a little bit. That All she has to do is 
cut someone else open rather than herself. So I like that they, they, they kind of make amends on that one a little bit. And it also sets up what we've got for the subsequent films, which is we've got to have like a, a title slam pre-credit trap. I do think as well in the second, um, they basically just ramped up the green a lot. I mean, I, I think second is where Saw gets its signature look from. It, you get a bit of it in the first, but... You know, the first is really blue because it's got those halogen lamps in the well, um, yeah. bathroom. Yeah, you have you have like basically it's like the two looks of so you either have it like a blinding blue, mm. or like a white blue, or you have the green screen on it. And I just I feel it feels much more saturated into it. Feels like you know that that were obviously the look they were going for, and they they kind of started it with that look because a load of knockoff horrors after just ran with it, but yeah. they were the first to do it and just went. Fucking put it through roof. And the same with the crazy quick editing. I mean, like, that's right there uh, from that subocular key trap at the beginning all the way up to, like, the hyperkinetic edited ending. Like, the way that they splice stuff together is there. The way scenes transition as well. This is the blueprint, as far as I'm concerned, for Saw. I think, and it took a rewatch in kind of, like, close uh, proximity to all the others that I kind of got an appreciation for how much of what you see in Saw 2 is the entire franchise kind of settling on an aesthetic. I hadn't really caught that until this time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And Also, I think um, one thing that I do love about Saw 2 is that it's kind of got like what I consider to be a kind of triple whammy twist, the way that it unfolds at the end, and every step lands. Totally. Like the Hello Zep moment is unbelievable in this. It's got the, this spaghetti bowl kind of third act, doesn't it? Where, like you say, it's twist upon twist upon twist. You've got Eric and John in, like, a planes, trains, and automobile road trip to rescue his son. Amanda <laughs> and Daniel discover a trapdoor. Again, going back to locations, this house is fucking wild in that it is sitting on top of this incredibly massive basement that is fit out with a bathroom, which has to also then be, like, six to eight feet below where he's buried this needle pit. This is crazy. This house is like 40 feet off the fucking ground already. How how much money can actually be made in engineering? Like, I don't know how profitable it is because where the fuck is he getting the sums to just buy houses out? Unless he's lying and renting them. I don't think rental houses usually come with industrial sized safe doors (laughs) with like raw iron uh, hinges on it. Like, that's not not what you see. This is America, Mitch. You never know. You you, you don't know. It's proving the police useless again, though, where they go, oh, where's, where's Jigsaw? I found that house, that one 50 foot off the ground. The one with the <laughs> trucks backing into it. <laughs> oh, I think it might be that one on the corner that has a constant industrial drone coming from it. <laughs> what's that green light above it? I don't know what's going on. Why is it so green? <laughs> I am choosing to believe that the reason that this house is so tripped out is that, like, um, because he's kind of, like, a little bit more ill at this point, it's like an extreme makeover home edition situation where it's been tripped out for him. Yeah, probs. He's got helpers, and there, as we find out. If they if they reveal it, it was the two brothers from Property Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Dimmock and Alan Titchmarsh just rolling out with a big wheelbarrow full of needles. <laughs> <laughs> but like if we, let's talk about the the big reveal in this one which is the time unveiling the really really cool thing with this is it does that maybe i don't think the other ones do as much as it plays with your preconceptions of what you just naturally assume because when we watch films and we're shown two things we just assume that they are happening concurrently unless there's a like a whoosh flashback effect put over it or like a different color um and it, it does, it's using the audience's expectations against itself so that when Dina Myers d- does find out that everything they're watching on the tapes is just on a VHS player, um, it is a massive, like, whoa moment in the same way when um, 
when John gets up off the floor and pulls off his skull cap. I think it's really something like that. And then on top of all of that, you get the Amanda Young surprise bitch moment that she's like this disciple of Jigsaw, which is so good. And when you do rewatch it back, you see it so much. Like she's doing some super like mustache twirling side eye in a lot of these circumstances. And she doesn't cough once. Like, come on, commit to your role. There's a nerve gas that you're not meant to have um, like an antidote for. Everyone else is spewing up their rotten lungs. Do us a little cough, babe. Like, egg it yeah. up. Like, ev- everyone's fucking looking pasty and, you know, like no blood in them whatsoever. It's all just drained from the face and she's walking around like a fucking Clarins advert. <laughs> That'd have been even more of a giveaway. If everyone's coughing up their lungs, like, hey, Amanda, how are you feeling? She's like, <laughs> <laughs> She's walking around taking obnoxiously big breaths. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, God. Really needed that. So another thing I love about Saw 2 is that there is so much more Tobin Bell in this one. And I'd say maybe logistically it's the most well-measured John Kramer we get in the whole series. It's basically kind of like story time with Jigsaw when Eric sits down and is subjected <laughs> to this like Mormon-level diatribe on his ethos and his philosophy. Those who don't appreciate it don't deserve life kind of stuff that he's spilling out to him. And it's great. I think it's really interesting though to see is where people of Jigsaw's philosophy, if not his means to demonstrate it. So, like, on one hand, he does have a bit of a point, you know, like, Thanos man is a play kind of effect. Like, eh, dude's got a fair point. I, I actually picked up myself on something I was doing throughout re-watching him, and I didn't realise I was doing it, and, it, you know, it does relate to that. If I was siding with Jigsaw... I'd call him John. And I go, oh, it's just John trying to do so and so. And then if it would be if it would be bad, I'd be like, oh, it's Jigsaw's trap sort of thing. So, you know, mm. you kind of do... You're mentally long naming him when you yeah. want to tell yeah. <laughs> Naughty Jigsaw, look what you've done. <laughs> on the other hand, like, it could be slightly annoying because he, going on about how he survived his suicide attempt, um, which is like, yeah, well done, but move on, watch some Netflix. It's not like everyone else has to follow in your footsteps. He's like, um, do you know those people that took LSD one time when they were a teenager in uni and they never fucking shut up about it? He's literally <laughs> the same as that. He's like, no, I appreciate my life and so should you now. It gets a little bit eggy. But he's got a point. He has got a point. I mean, like, there's two there's two bits and I think Saw 2 is like the tasteful part of it and he gets a little bit eggy as he goes down the way. Yeah, it, it, it does get more and more ridiculous as you go on, I'll admit. Even though I love every single Saw. I do love Not Jigsaw, not you. Apart from Jigsaw, I love every Saw. Um, but it does start getting a bit more, you know, like I say, ridiculous as it does go down the line. I, I agree with him on some points. Like, I mean, if it were me, I'd be picking people who litter and teaching them a lesson and people who put the feet on bus seats. He does get dangerously close to that level of arbitrariness when he's really kind of scraping the bar and he's like, you smoke. Or like with Dina Meyer, he's like, you, you're too good at your job. <laughs> yeah, but that that's not Jigsaw, is it? Uh, but Jigsaw knew about it. He selected her. It was only Amanda that, well, not Amanda that set up the trap, but, you know, Amanda and someone else. I mean, I don't know what the vendetta is against cops, like, in all of these. And they're all cops from the same area, from the same precinct. They're supposed to be from the same team. Hoffman's meant to be the last of the initial, let's capture Jigsaw, police, brute force, whatever it is. I don't know what they're called, task force or whatever. Is it problem not just the fact that they dedicate their lives to solving crimes and put their own lives and their own families on the back burner? The biggest issue is when you're on that team, or we all do, we've all been at work and the boss has come over and gone, 
oh, Chris, we need you to work this, or we need you to train this, or do this. Imagine going to the police station one day and going, oh, you've been moved the jigsaw investigation. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, as well, if he is doing this because they're not spending time with the family, it's like, well, mate, it's your fault. You're the one who's putting the traps out there. So maybe if you weren't killing people, they'd have time to go home and eat the Finder's crispy pancakes with the fucking family. You've spent so much time trying to catch me that you haven't seen your wife in three weeks. <laughs> you explain that to him, he would just really sadly like be like, oh, bad gets on. You're right. I have been bad. I'm sorry. His head would explode. We get into a jigsaw paradox, and he just wouldn't be able to take it. Yeah, over here. Uh, That's where the brain tumor comes from. Someone yeah. sat, sat downwards and went, "Went, John. You know, if you stop killing people, and that was it." <laughs> Boom. On the cop matter, I love that it literally does take the entire like task force of police in this area until the FBI are like, hmm, yeah, maybe we'll come and have a look. Because they don't show up until when does Strom come into it? Is it four? Isn't it four? That's like five months of deaths. Until they're like, mm, we'll check it out, maybe. But four runs parallel with three. The complexities oh, of which we'll get into going down the line. Yeah. Because timelines all over the place. Just to finish on the the like the John Kramer love, this is him at the pinnacle of him doing his little wordplay. So when he's like referring to the needle pit as like finding a needle in a haystack, and he goes a little. <laughs> it's brilliant, <laughs> and then. Biggest thing, he's a man of his word, and he does tell Eric that his son is safe. And where is Eric? Uh, where is Daniel? Right, but why didn't Daniel make a noise of some sort? You can hear through a safe. So if he heard his dad going mental, why ain't he banking or something? I don't think you could, because he, maybe he's put to sleep. He's got an oxygen mask on, but there might be like a little sedative in there. It might have like laughing gas. You don't know. He's been through a lot as well. He might need a sleep. That dude had some fucking bags under his eyes when his dad picked him up at the docks. Let alone towards the end of it, he might have just needed a little nap. And um, he's in Scream Four. Eric Knudsen. I had the biggest fucking crush on him as a kid. I think I've told a few people this. I did my GCSE French speaking assessment all about Eric Knudsen in nice. Saw Two playing Daniel Matthews. It's only now that I look back on that and realise why it's so fucking weird and why the teacher was like, you you know, you could talk about, like, steps. Well, not steps. I don't really know what bands were bigger that time. But, like, you you know, you could talk about, like, Eric Cantona, if you want, or, like, Plato or Socrates, or, you know, Hitler. And I was like, no, no, that boy from Saw 2 that I am um, closet-like. Yeah. I'm also yeah. just realising that doing this in the order that we're doing it, but like, oh, we're going chrono- chronological order is an absolute fucking joke in terms of what it says in terms of the timeline. It's like that's just as random as doing it in any other order. <laughs> it, it makes no sense whichever way you put it round. It makes no sense. <sighs> I think somebody does need to make a mastercut of the Saw franchise like the, that guy did with um, Star Wars. You know, where he did, like, the full nine-hour version of it and everything plays out completely, like, in canon chronologically. That would be so interesting, but I guess also so dull. <laughs> everything that appears as a twist would just be like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have all those little bits, little plot holes you never notice. We wonder why John turns up eight places at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, what was your favourite trap from Saw 2? Oh, well, I mean, I love the needle pit. I fucking love the needle pit. But we've not spoke about it yet. It is the wrist trap. Same. Because it's effectively a 
really gnarly murdery version of those like Chinese finger traps. And also it does like fold into the classic John Kramer mantra where there is a way out of the trap and it is quite an easy way out as well. It is. So yeah, I like that word. And I think it's it's nasty because it's got a real slow inferred death to it. And mm-hmm. it's shot really beautifully. That There's like a, a shot where the camera's looking down at her and she's got both wrists trapped in it. And the light on her face is just slowly turning red as her wrists bleed out. That one or the needle trap, I think maybe we should each pick a favourite trap from each of our films and then pit them together like Robot Wars at the end <laughs> and the ultimate saw trap. I'm going to go with... Ah, I'm going to go with Needle Picks. I think it stands the best chance of winning. Okay, I guess then to summarise why I think Saw 2 is the best entry um, and second only to the original, I think because its big reveal is the closest to feeling like a magic trick uh, when the timeline is unveiled. It racks up the shocks, it doubles down on the philosophy of Jigsaw and it is totally seminal to the success of the rest of the series. Um, so specifically, without Saw 2, you don't get yours picks which is why by virtue and necessity of logic, Sword 2 is the best. Game over. Slice door shut. I mean, that's also just how numbers work. Yes. <laughs> well, like if it wasn't for Saw 2, there'd be no Saw 3, I suppose that's true. Well, maybe Saw 2. That's not true. That's not true at all. Final Destination 5 can exist without Final Destination 2. There you go. We've got enough problems with timelines without dragging Final Destination into the the mix as well and getting that involved. I'm going to disagree with you, Mitch, on so to be the best because it's not what I picked. I went for so three. But I closed the door. You must know that when the door closes, there's no more saw. But the door reopens. Believe me, it reopens. The basic story of so three is that we kidnap a doctor to keep John alive. And if she does it for a certain period of time while someone else completes their challenge, then she can go free. And then we've got the grieving father whose challenges are about forgiveness. And we've got secret challenges going on as well, which is what I love about this film. I feel like this one's got a little bit more heart to it. It's more moral than like, oh, I might have to damage myself to save this person. It's more, can I forgive? Can I move on? Yeah, it's all about giving second chances, basically. It's just got a bit more heart for me. And we also learn a little bit more about how Amanda becomes who she is, which I like. A bit more of a backstory for Amanda. And that relationship between Amanda and John, I I quite like that. Watching that develop and watching how he pushes her as well. To It's almost like he's pushing her to fail on her challenge. So the secret challenge that is hers. And we learn about how Amanda's actually a little bit twisted and not as... um, understanding as jigsaw in general so in this film we also see the demise of Kerry, who's the officer from the first two films uh who's put in a trap that is made to fail and it just adds that little bit of an edge onto it there because you're like oh shit are we moving away from we can save ourselves to actually we're just moving into torture porn but it's nice to see the two worlds like Amanda's version of how she wants things to go versus Jigsaw's version. But yeah, I just think it's got a lot more a lot more heart. And I think there's traps in this one. I find them really intense and vile. And even kind of like the choices that Jigsaw makes Jeff make. Recap, Jeff's absolutely gutted about the loss of his son and he's been clinging on to everything to do with his son. He's got a daughter who he's kind of neglected. We learn he's got a wife who is neglected. But the, the, the whole clinging on to the memory of his son and then one of Jigsaw's traps is you can save this person if you burn all of your child's belongings mm-hmm. and let him go. 
And it's like, that's such a horrible, harsh thing. That's not about forgiveness. That's kind of punishing somebody for grieving. Being put in them moral choices, I think is a lot more worse than being told, uh, you might have to cut someone's belly open or burn yourself a little bit or whatever to get what you want. I think in that scenario, especially with their trap, they had to come up with an excuse to test them for something because as you find out, I mean, I'm assuming everyone's seen so, so it's not going to be any spoilers, but as you find out in final chapter is that Dr. Gordon recommended her to help him with his ongoing illness. So I, I think you did kind of, have, he had to find a reason for them to be there. It might seem like, you know, it, it is cruel that people should be allowed to grieve for as long as they want. And I think saying that he's taking over his life and he's neglecting his daughter and he's neglecting his wife is the reason that she comes there, essentially, and how she ends up being there. So it's not, it's not really an open and shut kind of thing. It's not, it's not like somebody he's picked because he's found out about him. It's, it's been recommended to him. There is a slight spatter in the works, though, with the whole logic that Jeff must move on from the death of his child. Um, when, we, when we find out in a later entry, one of the reasons Jigsaw started killing, because apparently it's not his cancer, it's not his suicide <laughs> attempt, but rather... <laughs> the um, manslaughter of his unborn baby that you just can't forgive anyone for. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. That is true. You need to move on from the death of your child. If you need I me, would... I'll be avenging the death of my child. I love that we've been um, talking about the burning of the children's <laughs> toy, which, by the way, I really want someone to edit the clip of the burning toys onto the end of Toy Story 3, because um, I think we make that film. <laughs> But we've not mentioned the molten, rotten pig drowning trap. Oh, fucking oh, it's hell. so gross. Oh, horrible. There, there, are, there are very few, like, you know, you watch a saw trap and you go, hey, and you laugh about it and you find it funny. We were watching one earlier, obviously my pig. We were watching my pig and there's a definite where I just went, hey. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't think there's a single trap in so three where I go, well, hey, if we go with Jeff's challenges, like his first, when he's in the freezer and that, that naked woman and it's just throwing ice cold water on her, that's like vile. Can I just interject and say before the ice trap though, is Jeff in a box, which is like my favourite unnecessary element of any of the franchise. <laughs> it's a Jeff in a box. They put Jeff in a box up on a forklift for no reason other than to him to fucking hurt when he wiggles his way off and yeah. cracks himself open like from Mario. Maybe they just knocked off. Maybe they're like, he got someone in. They're like, right. Okay, drive this forklift. We need to put him over here. He's going, right, no, it's not half five. I'm going home. In the writer's room, they're like, oh, we've made someone sore off their feet. Oh, God, we've made someone burn to death in a furnace. Put them in a box and push them off at six feet. They'll never with, see it coming. With, with, with the water one as well. I'm sure we've all had re retail jobs where we've had to go into actual commercial freezers and bits and pieces. Never have I been out in the rain, walked into a freezer and exploded. <laughs> You've never been in an industrial freezer for out many, many hours, freezing slowly, they're, they're and then <laughs> water on your naked body either, have you, Chris? With, with all due respect, Mercer, we work in our dining room, which is the coldest place on the planet, so don't tell me we don't know cold. We fucking know cold, mate. I'll just nip off to Antarctica and tell them bastards that they're, they're milking their coldness. 
it's the easiest trap to hack as well. Like, literally the easiest. Because he does it, basically. But he doesn't even need to lose his cheek skin. He's wearing all these fucking layers. If he just took his shirt and held it against his cheek and then leant against the pipe, then you wouldn't have, like, a centerfold bimbo popsicle at the end of it. He could have saved her and saved his beautiful cheek skin. But I think that gives him character, that cheekburn. But to be fair, he could have just took his jacket off to start with and put it on her. To which we warm you up a little, Hud. But, you know, he's selfish. He's in a fucking freezer. And then he throws it away afterwards once he gets out. Sweat is no good to anyone. Uh, But still, like that, like slowly freezing to death. Can you imagine the pain? And mind you, you probably wouldn't feel that much pain because you'd pass out. Your nerve endings would freeze first, so it'd be fine. In fact, you you feel for you when you freeze to death. She had it good, actually, eh? Bless her cotton socks. But then the pig's will, I think, is, um, is vile. That moldy, rotten, flying, maggot-infested pigs being mashed up and thrown onto your into your mouth. He swallows some of that gunk. Yeah, that's awesome. He's drinking it. At least doing the black pudding first and drop it on me. That's fine. <laughs> you, you know, for all the uh, pig swill that he gets all over him, he walks out of that trap with a fucking clean shirt on. I don't know if anyone noticed, but there was no on his shirt when he walked out of there. So free, sponsored by Daz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you shop at Debenhams? <laughs> Does anybody else think that the circumstances that the doctor Lynn gets kidnapped under and her kind of like trap is really harsh because it's like there's a shotgun collar around your neck which will explode if you fuck up keeping me alive. Also, I have aggressive brain cancer and might die anyway. It's also really handy that we get the shots of those bits of paper all the keywords highlighted. Just in case we weren't completely on board, what, what's going on? When in when op- he gets thrown the case file, it's all like highlighted in yellow, like inoperable. You say. <laughs> I would like to circle back to my um, position that John Kramer jigsaw is queer icon. That is a lovely statement necklace. It's very <laughs> very like Met Gala 2015 category as Uncle Cracker's shotgun factory. It's lovely. Although Amanda made it, so maybe she's the real icon. Under the visual tutelage of John Kramer. He's the Gianni Versace to Donatella. Sorry. Love it. Love it. I, 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 see, I, I think I've had this conversation with Ben before, and I think it will be anyone actually brought it up, but the deco in Saw 3 is something to behold. You've got all these pictures in the background of, like, butterflies and birds and stuff like that, and just your candelier in there, even though you've got a fully functioning light above you, it goes full get out, and went, nah, we're going to deck this place out like a fucking gothic masterpiece. We've gone back to ch- we've gone back to changing rooms again. Lawrence Brown Bowen. LL good old LLB has definitely oh, been in there. Well he's got schools, he's got candles everywhere, big flowing drapes. It's definitely Lawrence Brown Bowen has gone in there to go. They've got those like full plant potpourri things, like dead palm tree branches that were really popular in the late eighties <laughs> that you'd see in like every office block reception area. <laughs> Yeah, they they know again. They know what they're doing. They know their aesthetic. It's it's just a, it's mental scenery. It's men, it's actual mental scenes. Like I don't know at what point they just went in and went. We're just gonna we're gonna throw some fucking butterflies at wall here. That's so that's so jigsaw. There's like loads of animal anatomy cross sections that are like pieces of paper that are tacked up. And I'm like, well, I know that you're gonna do surgery, but I don't think that how-to guide is gonna help you here. Are there in this one because the decos normally 
like reminiscent of where they're supposed to be. In this so, yeah. one, they are also attached to where they are in four because they is end it? up in Jeff's room as well. This is Jigsaw's Airbnb. That's what this is. <laughs> That's why it's got all colourful pictures on walls and shit. It's it's the Gideon company, isn't it? It's like yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the, the first Gideon factory that he designed as an engineer. That's yeah, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, I think yeah, three and four are in there, aren't they? Yeah, all those engineers running around designing factories. So get an architect to do it. No, <laughs> let John have a bash. See, if, if, I, I, if Jigsaw has got apprentices to help him set up traps and doctors, I fully believe that he's got architects, landscape gardeners, and interior decorators as well. Second, wait a second. I've just realised that. And I've literally just realised in this moment, this is a, a steel manufacturing factory. That's what the Gideon industry was. It was a steel yes, manufacturing yes. plant. Yeah. Why do they have an industrial-sized pig vat? Has that got anything to do with steel? I don't know. I don't uh, know. Late, later on, we find out he, he, they invested in property. So he has a whole property empire as well. He might know a farmer. Subletting a room off to an abattoir. Yeah. Like, this is kind of around the time where the film, like, where the film's kind of stopped being. This is a kind of, like, small contraption that is attached to you rather than, like, this trap is wired to an entire room and costs conservative, uh, conservatively $240,000. It's, it's, it's not a criticism at all. It's just like a point when it very markedly crosses a line. What I do like about this film is, again, the twist parts of it. So, oh, while we're talking about twists, we may as well go to the very final challenge Jeff has to face, which is the person who accidentally killed his son in the body-twisting rack. Oh. Yes. That is, again... Brutal, because it's so painful. All the deaths are meant to be, like, vile and painful and prolonged and horrid. And I don't know how he was going to pull that key out and not shoot himself in the face. Chris worked out it could be done. Yeah, when you look at that, he can easily reach that key and just have his head ducked down. There's no way he has to have his head at that level to reach it. And if the other guy hadn't been standing directly in front of it, he wouldn't have got a shot anyway. It'd have been fine. But he's like an idiot. He stood directly in front of it. One of my issues with this whole film is that Jeff is so inherently fucking unlikable because he's so slow. I agree. Timothy has basically got his head around, like, a full-on 100 degrees. And that's when Jeff starts slowly walking along this metal cabinet, looking at the shotgun, literally going... Hmm, I wonder what I need to do. <laughs> the guy's already fucked, mate. You're done. He's basically window shopping for moral redemption. Like, speed it up. Yeah. But poor Jeff's motor skills are impaired. He's, he's being kidnapped on a morning when he's... We, we've seen him with his little... He's a box. He's a struggling alcoholic. <laughs> is, that the, is that the reasoning for the box, basically, to explain yeah. his fucking slowness? Uh, no, but he's an alcoholic, so he's, he's you know, you don't sober up like that just because someone freezes in front of you, do you? You're kind of still, you're still a bit pissed, I think. I've never watched anyone freeze to death in front of me, but I've been drunk before. <laughs> just, I just carried on with your night out. Um, uh, I, think that the, I think that the rack is a great trap, but it's annoying to me how kind of, like, I think that the way it's fit, like, the way it's kind of solved is a bit daft. Like, I think visually it's amazing, but like, it just feels like a weird writer room conversation to me. Where they conceive that, and they're like, right, okay, how do you stop it? It's like, yeah, I don't know, like, key on a string attached to a shotgun. <laughs> which they already did in two. And which they proceed to do in several other of the films. Let's just put some keys on a string. Um, that's that's how you move on. Some of, some of when the traps get really convoluted, I always kind of, like, in my head, I kind of, like, reimagine the ending to it being, like, a machine from Wallace and Gromit that makes toast. <laughs> <laughs> Then we get as a as beautiful final, well, one of his other twists, which is we discover that um, Jeff and Lynn are actually husband and wife. 
and the child that was lost is theirs. And I didn't get that because at the very start of the film, and I asked Faye about this yesterday, the very start of the film, she's walking out from a, a stud muffin and she's like, what do you want of me? And he's like, I want a divorce. And I'm like, well, how can you get a divorce from someone if you're not married to them? And then Faye's explained that he wants her to divorce her husband. Mm. And I'm like, oh, right, yeah, this makes sense there. This is smart. And I think like... <laughs> so- like <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, they've completely like from the very second they've misled me. They've given me a little piece of information that's allowed me to now not link Amanda, uh, sorry, Lynn and Jeff together as as a, as a relationship. So when it comes that they are together, you're like, oh, fuck me, that's intense. Mate, you wait until you watch Usual Suspects. It is going to blow <laughs> your mind. I think yeah. that this this is one of the best examples. And the, the whole series is good at this. It's just giving you like a very small scrap of information from which you will just extrapolate a bunch of stuff. Like the film leaves you to like, it just points you very subtly down the wrong road and you just batter down at yourself. Like I think it's it's really clever and it's something that it just the, the entire series, regardless of what I think of the films, they never really stop being good at that. Yeah, like, really good example. even late, like, lately on when a franchise is getting a bit tired, it it still does it brilliantly. Yeah, I agree. So, and you just go, oh, shit, didn't know that. There you go. And then I think with this one as well, we don't know why Amanda's acting the way she does until pre, like, the later films. But Amanda's very much like, I want this Lynn bitch dead and I don't care what happens, I'm getting rid of her. And I, I like this whole, so she kills Lynn and then Jigsaw's like, that was your challenge, which I thought were great. And then the whole, when he goes to Jeff, this is your real challenge, is to forgive me. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck, you twisted bastard. <laughs> You've just been the, the, There's like five... <laughs> In succession, in the in the space of like ten minutes, tests for people. Actually, this is your <laughs> test. No, wait a minute, it was yours. Ah, it could be this yeah. one, but it's actually this one. And he's with a slit throat and a brain tumor that's <laughs> been pre-panned and opened up. Like Second commitment. From death. <laughs> yeah. The fact that when when he does get his throat buzzsawed. Sorry, if you're going to get to that in a minute, Mercer. And then while he's choking on his own blood. He pulls out a tape recorder. <laughs> like, that man is committed. I, I love the fact that he just never stops, like, Jigsaw going Jigsaw literally up until he dies. Like, see, I love the fact he's, like, almost freezing, and he's like, and you could trade it all for what's in this box. <laughs> <laughs> that ultimate twist of, you know, it's all about forgiveness, Jeff. You're, like, all them challenges you've done, and even this one, it's just about forgiveness. And the way Jeff's like, I forgive you, and then slices his throat, you're like, oh, you sick bastard. That's not forgiveness. That's murder. Um, <laughs> just a fight there. Um, but then the, um, I'm the only one who knows where your daughter is. And you're like, oh, you bastard. Mm-hmm. You've kidnapped and locked the daughter away. You're like, oh, my God, this is insane. And that's amazing. And then it ends. And that's what I like about this one. Like, it's just like, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? Like, I've got to wait a year in the real world when we watch this for the next jigs- next show to come back to find out what happens to this little girl. And do you know what I think is also amazing about jig- part three? Without part three, you wouldn't have part four or part five. <laughs> <laughs> just quickly in regard to Amanda's test in this before you wrap up or whatever. She knows what Jigsaw's about, right? And she knows that he finds out everything. So how nervous would you be going essentially into a partnership with somebody when you know you've killed their kid? You're part of the reason their kid is dead. And you know the fucking tools he has at hand. Yeah, fair. 
I think in part three, um, they'd not wrote that into the script yet, so I don't think she knew that she killed his baby until later on when they when they when they wrote the script again. <laughs> well, what could we do to make Amanda's death make sense? Also, she was messed up. She might not remember that. She's been through some stuff in her time. She just might not recall that. Even though we see her do it, she might not know she did it. Off the back of that, though, I love, 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 love the whole portrayal of Amanda. And I think that, questionably, she's one of the biggest victims of the whole franchise in that she is stuck in this kind of toxic Stockholm Syndrome relationship with with John Kramer, where she worships him, she's abused by him. She's like the, the Leslie Van Houten to Charles Manson of this whole scenario. And I think it's portrayed really well as well. I was kind of thinking that as well. I think that Amanda gets the roughest trade out of all, almost anybody in this entire series. As much, and like, because like you say, everything about her situation is awful. But also, like at the end of this, you don't understand why she does what she does when she shoots Lynn. And like, everything is so finely balanced at that point. You're like, you fucking idiot when that happens. And, it, and, the, and the, the series just lets you sit on that, thinking that she's the villain of the piece for quite a long time before it writes that ship. But it's also mm-hmm. like it is that that's fallibility. So it's seen in the, in that in that scene when John is like hazing out from his um, like brain surgery, and he whispers "I love you" to Lynn, confusing her for Jill, and that absolutely sends Amanda mm-hmm. because it shows that she is in this this un, possibly unrequited kind of affinity and love with John that isn't reciprocated. Hers is a bit more personal than just the philosophy, as we find out. She doesn't give shit about the philosophy. Well, he's her crutch, isn't yeah. he? So, like, he, he's the reason she's alive. He's the reason she's off drugs. So she looks to him like a god figure, which yeah. I do, again, supports my theory on Spiral, but we'll come to that later. He saved her, and like you said, I think there's an element of almost Stockholm Syndrome as mm. to you feel like you owe someone your life. And then that can become like a weird obsession and you mistake what you feel for like love or idolizing somebody. And the fact that they saved your life. That's what the Manson family was. It was him taking vagrants and people off the street that didn't have a purpose in life and gave them his own purpose. It's super similar. And just with what you said earlier about Xavier's trapping so too that Amanda ends up doing. I'm not sure if it's in two or three or is it in four? Maybe we're coming up to it. But there's something there's something the jigsaw says about if you understand human behaviour, nothing's left to chance. And I think so like you said, the the whole Amanda being thrown into the pit, I think was a plan for Amanda to be thrown into the pit. Amanda shooting her, I think he knew that we're gonna happen. The fact that he's got the tape ready for Jeff to say, if you've killed me, your daughter's dead it's all because human behaviour, he kind of like goes, mm, I know, I kind of know which way this is going to go. You've got your options, but I kind of already figured out we're not yeah. going to do this. And I know we're not talking about Jigsaw, but he does it really well in Jigsaw because he even puts things in there that they've just said three minutes before. On a tape. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You really yep. do understand human behaviour. Yep. But back to three. I think three, like I said, three for me is my favourite. I think it's got the heart behind it and I, I kind of like that I think the the traps are intense if I'm picking my favorite trap my actual favorite trap from this one is the freezer trap and not the pig swill um because okay. I just hate that completely if I was in that position that would be my worst nightmare I'd rather drown than freeze to death but yeah it's got the heart it's it's got a good plot and it still leaves us with an element of I don't really know what's going on with the twist I do like that and I think it's the best from the franchise. 
it's useful that it leaves you wanting to know what happens next, because mine is, in film series terms at least, what happens next in the, so far as four comes after three. <laughs> as we get more and more down this series, attempting to explain the plot and what the hell is actually going on gets worse and worse, so good luck, Faye and Bane as well when you attempt to get to it. I'm good, I'm good to go. I'm I got it, go. I got it. This one opens with us actually seeing the corpse of John Kramer. So, thankfully, we know he's dead. We know there's not, there's nothing else going on here. And we get the spin-off in a whole new yarn from here. So we know something is coming. We know something weird or odd is going to happen because we have his corpse and we have the tape in his corpse, which I'm still not sure you'd be able to swallow a cassette like that, coated in wax. I think it would be the case of what happened was his cause of death. Oh, he's choked on the cassette. <laughs> the, slow mo- the, the cutaway as well to seeing him eating it is really, really funny. <laughs> like, have, you, have you seen that video of the kid that is cooking with his grandma and really wants to eat the stick of butter and he's like doing everything he can to just ram it in his mouth? It's very much that vibe. Like, again, he's determined, he's committed, like, that... That four by two inch tape is going down his his larynx. It's happening. It would have been amazing if, like, it opened with the autopsy and it being like, so what got him? Was it the uh, throat slasher? Was it the brain tumor? It's like, you're not going to believe this. (laughs) What would have really stumped his plan, though, is if he swallowed the tape and then it just fell out through his throat slit. Like, it really would have ruined (laughs) the reveal. Yeah. (laughs) Just literally in his dying moments going, fuck. (laughs) Get it back in. Did anyone see. Like I said, <laughs> nobody moved. <laughs> there's a whole of there's a whole of a plot strand where he tries to do it on Betamax, so no one could find a video to play it. <laughs> <laughs> the entire B story is just Hoffman driving around looking for a top loading video player. <laughs> All right, that's a cool bit. <laughs> right, anyway, so Jigsaw dead because that found played by Matt Hoffman finds it fine. So we've got the FBI involved at this point as well. So they go down, find Kerry's corpse from the previous movie where she couldn't escape. And it's at this point, they very obviously go, oh, there must be another party involved. At which point we go, yeah, because two of them are dead. We know there's, there must be. <laughs> it's like somebody signing with a calculator being like, yep, that checks out. <laughs> I just think it's only calculator, putting in some numbers and then just turn it around with boobies. <laughs> <laughs> It's more the point where they go, they must go, go, right, Amanda's dead, Jigsaw's dead, there's only one solution, it's got to be a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we find, so we, we know at this point that a third, a person is additionally involved. And who's that skulking around in the shadows? It could only be Matt Hoffman. He's there, skulking about, looking suspicious and shady as out. Could he possibly be the person? The third party, yeah. I, I can see in uh, Mitchell's face that he's in love with Hoffman's Hoffman. acting in this one. Hoffman carries the persona of a guilty dog when the food has gone missing off of the kitchen counter. Like, it's so fucking obvious. <laughs> like, you know when you look back at pictures of Peter Sutcliffe and go, of course! It's very much that energy. It's like the the camera shots that we get that the other people don't see, where it's all like a, like thing. And when you go back and watch it, you can totally tell. I I know you're just saying it's obvious and shit, but 
in part three, that's when we first meet Hoffman, isn't it? At the trap with the hooks. When you watch that back and it's like, all he had to do was unhook himself. And you're like, oh, dodgy bastard. Like, because they're like, all he had to do was like, yeah. You're like, you're, you're a dodgy bastard, you. You're like, you know it from that point, but you don't. Yeah. Like, when you look back in retrospect, when you rewatch them all in sequence, you go, oh, yeah, you did kind of give it away there. So far is the one that starts with Johnny Wahlberg in the room. So me and Chris had a discussion about this. Why is it when you go to, like, because obviously Dr. Gordon will put in this position and now Donny W is, when you go to cut yourself out of a chain, why are they cutting above the ankle? Like, surely below, you're losing less height and you'd be able to slip it out. So why go above the shackle every time? Does seem weird. Well, it might be easier yeah. to cut through. They're like, if you look right down at your ankle where you've got that big ball bone oh. thing, that might be tougher to dig through than just a thin shin bone. Mm-hmm. So it might be an actual like anatomical anomaly that's easier to get through. A lot of flesh, but one tiny bone. I think your your bone. ankle's full of tendons as well. So I imagine once you snap a leg, mm-hmm. it's yeah. easy to saw through. Whereas if you're having to saw through all tendons and, and stuff like that, it's Maybe. probably harder to get through. Also, I think this all happens at start three. Is at the start of three, we missed it back then, but it's always nice to fill in the gaps. Let's talk about the actual lesson he's trying to teach here as well. Because we've had this before we mentioned it. So, Rig is the guy who's being put through these tests here for apparently wanting to do too good a job. Your obsession in catching me is the issue here. Yeah, I feel like he's projecting models onto that. It's like you're getting a bit good at this, so you have to die. It's, it's, it's literally Hoffman going. How can I stop this guy from trying to fucking find me? Like, how can I throw him off scent? I know. I know what I'll do. This is still Jigsaw for this film. Yeah, yeah. Because the big twist at the end of this one is, if we remember, that this film happened at the same time as mm-hmm. the third we, one. Which yeah. Hoffman is involved in. ass fucking Jeff yeah. is still stood in that room, and I like to think that it's not happened simultaneously. He's just so slow, he ain't gotten very far in the last two and a half weeks. Uh, for, the chrono- for the entire chronology of Saw 4, he's just been standing in one room being like, this is certainly a predicament. <laughs> with, a very, with a very low trombone going underneath him. <laughs> <laughs> time is something that was going to come up, actually, because time has no meaning in any of these films. When we have the rig with his first test when he goes with the madam who has her hair ripped off and he finishes that test he finishes that test kills her 87 and a half minutes or so left on the clock when he gets to the guy in the motor the guy in the motel for the next one we're down to 52 minutes he's lost over half hour somewhere getting from a to b america's a big place yeah and it can't it can't be building all these industrial buildings in one place because that's so so he needs to spread them out <laughs> It's like, what, Saw 10, someone dies because they hit traffic on the M21. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right, though. It's like, oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's been, like, 18 deaths in the last five days that are all localised to this one industrial estate. That looks weird to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say that. Would it not also... When they, oh, all the buildings are owned by the same person. <laughs> At no point they go, we might want to go have a word with him. <laughs> mm. Well... All the deeds are in the name Cron Jamer. <laughs> Don't we discover, not in this one, but in another one, all the buildings are actually owned by... Yes, and it's our... Like, Mitch was saying, why so long, though? Like, why have we waited all this time to go, right, there's definitely dead bodies in this one, this one, this one, and this one. Like, isn't that the first thing you do as a police officer? 
loves these empty derelict buildings. The police in this entire franchise are just ridiculous. They make some bad choices. I strongly feel like all of the police who are investigating this for the duration were basically doing things like parking violations before this started happening. You know, like when it's like just like a small town thing, like kind of like a midsummer murder situation where it's like, Jesus Christ, this is a step up. <laughs> Hard agree on that, yes. Mike's first day on the job. Right, you're now you're now lead on the jigsaw killing. <laughs> Watch your back. <laughs> that's just the rate they're going through coppers. They literally are. It's like day one, join. Day 30, graduation. Next day, it's like, right, yeah, you're in a fucking pig's bucket. <laughs> what I will say about this one is, considering that it's how, like, obviously how closely it ends up marrying itself to three, I think that the whole thing hangs together like pretty nicely, considering this is the first one that wasn't co-written by Lee Winnell. I think that considering this is the first time that, like, the two kind of brains of the operation and like from the beginning fully step outside of the thing and just kind of, I think they both just are exec producers on this one. I think that the way that the whole thing hangs together is really uh, quite nicely done. It feels like any other saw. I I wouldn't say that I'd be able to notice a difference in terms of writing. I mean, there's not really that much dialogue with a saw for real. Is there like a saw film? It's all based on traps. It's all based on action. Yeah. The only thing here that is well, not, an, not an issue, but you can feel you can feel they're starting to have to pad it out with the jigsaw backstory. Either they're going to go, oh, we've got we've got a huge franchise now. We're going to make him sympathetic and have people rooting for jigsaw so we can keep knocking these films out, or they've gone, right, we've got a load of traps, but we've not got enough of a story to hang around it. So we'll do we'll do his creation. We'll do how he came to be. Mm. I think my uh, initial takes when I saw four and five was it's very much more, I don't know, it feels much more like a crime film, um, like we're focused a lot more on the police force and, and the investigation rather than, I know 2 does like the whole, like the police are there throughout, but I don't know, it feel, it, it still feels like it's a soft film and the idea is like the challenge, whereas these, I do feel it focuses a lot more on like the police investigation and moving forward with capturing the killer um, or killers. Uh, and I, that almost put me off a little bit. Although I do think Riggs really good in this film. There's still some great traps as well. The one where she speared through the kaplunk style, kaplunk style spear Extreme trap. Extreme kaplunk. Worst <laughs> mm-hmm. kaplunk, yeah. Um, the, the, the scalping one is great. That's really original, that. That's not something you've had for any other ones. She doesn't die from the scalping as well. She dies by getting thrown through a fucking bit of glass. See, that, yeah. trans- that transition when he throws her through the glass, but it, like, cuts straight to the hospital. And, it, like, uh, did anybody else notice that? Like, the way that... Yeah, it trans- yeah. Like, totally- like, that, that makes me laugh every time because it just looks like a scalped woman has landed in a bloody mess on the, on the floor of a hospital and everyone's just walked past her without helping her. <laughs> They, they do for quite a few of the shots. There's one as well where John's saying something. He turns around to look into a window and it ends up going into the interrogation room. So they do quite a lot of those transitional shots. Yeah. For, for, but for maximum effect, take them as literally as possible. <laughs> There's one, because they're all done in, or most of them were done in camera as well. So like the camera would pivot around to a different part of the set and then the actor would walk in the back. So in three, there's a transition with um, Dina Mayer's character where she goes from the police station to in the bathroom of her apartment where she had to do, like, the camera was going to turn 180 degrees. She had to run in the opposite direction and completely undress and get into a bath. 
and apparently they had to do it so many times in take and she was having to run so fast um, that she gave herself a hernia doing it. Oh, oh my God. God. Wow. Poor Dina Meyer. Um, the only things I had for this were, yeah, it's the first one that Lee Winnell didn't take a, a writing credit on. But also, it is the first film in the series, and I think possibly the only one that doesn't open with a character in a trap. It doesn't. No, because it opens open with the autopsy table. That's right, the autopsy table. Yep. Oh, there you go. Is this the one that then moves on to the trap with the eyes sewn shut and the mouth sewn shut? Or is that five? Yes. No, that's four. There's this one, yeah, where they have to... His keys attached to the back of the neck, but one can't see and one can't speak. Although, as we find, as we find out later... There could, there could have been a very easy way around that when we go. And that's when we learn about art. Art Blank sounds like an incredibly made-up name to me. <laughs> that's like toothpaste, I think. So, like, art, obviously you, you find out that he's part of it and not part of it, but he's, he's doing what Zep were doing, basically. He's being told to do something to further another trap, the one with Eric Matthews in. And he's, you know, he's had his mouth sewn shut, but then he's fucking, his lips are in top tip condition by the time he gets to that trap. What fucking chapstick's he using? I mean, I've had split lips and it takes week, literally weeks to recover. You, that skin doesn't grow back in like five minutes. So unrealistic. So far, bio oil. So far as well, I've got some of the most fucking spinny camera movements ever. Just constantly going round and round. I'm like, kids watch so not fucking not going out. I don't know if anyone's seen that. But there's cameras. The cameras on not going out never stay still. They're always just constantly moving very, very slowly. I'm like, why are they moving? Sorry. It's a real bugbear of mine, that that show, with how they fucking film it. It really pisses me off. But back to so. For me in this, even though I think Rick's really good, I'm confused by his challenges. It's literally just, like, do some or don't. Yeah. And I don't like as well, he's not trapped in a single location as well. He's just kind of, like, wandering around place to place mm-hmm. without anything constraining him. Like, you could involve other people if you want, you know, like the actual FBI that are helping you out. He's That cop drama thing, doesn't it, where he's like, no, I must solve this all myself and do things all myself. His task is very much has to let things go, though, doesn't he? That's the whole, that's the whole thing, and that's how we end up. Yeah, with the, with the final reckoning at the end, and the fact that they Eric Matthews is still alive. Sorry, as well. We're not sure we've even mentioned that during this. Not mentioned the best crap in it. No, the whole best setup in the film. Yeah, exactly. Not even mentioned the fact that he is standing, hanging from his neck on a block of ice, with a little cheap calagasia behind the back of it. No expense spared, apart from when it comes to the heating. And he's just gone <laughs> right. <laughs> As this ice melts, it runs into the trough that poor old Matt Hoffman is sat in, which will electrocute him should he actually die and drop. I, I hate to correct you, Chris. I'm really Hello. sorry. It's, it's Mark Hoffman. Mark, sorry, Matt. Sorry. Honestly, I I've, got, I've got BMX in my head. That's all. Every time I hear Hoffman, I go, Matt Hoffman. Oh, I, go, fair enough. I, I, wish, I wish so much that Hoffman got from A to B in the soft films on a BMX. <laughs> It would make him look less suspicious. It would <laughs> work into the hand of the film. Yeah, because he's like... With a backwards cap and a bike chain, being like, that dudes. That would be, like, because the way he is right now, yeah, he does just look like the dog with the shifty eyes from The Simpsons became a film character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, he does. 
I think that um, I think that the ultimate like when the revelations drop that this is on the same th- timeline as Saw Three, it's incredibly effective. I'm not mad about this film in the round, but I think that that moment is so good. I think that the setup with Eric, I feel sorry for that guy. I'm not going to lie to you. He's having it fucking rough. You know, you're having a bad time. That's all that we. I mean, yeah, you're a horrible cop and he beat people up and he falsely imprisoned people. I get all that. Pardon but, that. <laughs> but it's like it's gone. It's gone through the the fucking pain of essentially losing his son because he doesn't know he's alive. He doesn't know what's going on. He's been kept up since it all happened, so he doesn't know he's even there. So he thinks he's lost his son, and then he has to crack his own foot to get out, and then Amanda tries to kill him, and then he gets hooked up to this fucking blocker eyes. I feel really sorry for him. I think he's got it rough in this one, out of all of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because he's completed his challenge. He should be free. But then they can do another, and it's not fair. And oh my God, Hoffman, when he's tied to that chair... You can you can tell he's never been tied to a chair in his life. He doesn't even make noise. He just goes. It's <laughs> not even saying anything. It's so weird. See, eventually you'd stop struggling as well. Like, so like like I think like he's permanently like shuffling around all over the place. Yeah, like that would get exhausting after a bit. I'd just be like, well, that's not working. I need to come up with another plan. This is a waste of energy. It's it's like the are you talking about Hoffman or Eric? Uh, Hoffman. Yeah, like I said, because it's obviously all a setup and he just walks free. Yeah. Um, it's the equivalent of when you're told in college to look for something on the floor and rather than just looking down to look for it, you get on the floor and start padding around going, oh, where could that be? <laughs> he's thinking he's proper after his RAD credit in that, but feeling at it miserably. I did lay miss in high school. I can take this role, John. I can, I promise you. <laughs> and Amanda's like, no, I'll do it, John. Um, no. What's your favourite trap? In this film, Chris? It's the extreme kaplunk is my favourite. It's yeah. my favourite trap. I think there's a theme running through. Anything that pierces you, you can imagine being pierced through with any of these things, like the needle pit and like extreme kaplunk. So I think the things you can, the ones you can kind of imagine, you can't imagine being tied down in a pit and having slurry essentially dropped on your head. But I can imagine being speared with 25 different metal poles. <laughs> yeah. I throw a card out for John Kramer's first ever trap, uh, which even though it maybe doesn't work, it's really fucking nasty. Super fun. Having to push his face through the Cecil one. Yes. Yeah. 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 Face knife trap. There's something about it. You can feel it as if it's like it's kind of like a dull pain. So it's hurting you, but it's not hurting you. Yeah. And you don't realise until after you go, fuck, geez. like when you cut yourself with a knife and you don't realise for a while and go, oh, shit. Like having to take one pain, like the face knives, to relieve the other pain, the the wrist slips. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, I like the fact he's making notes afterwards. He's like, subject slightly annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite part about that trap is uh, when he gets out of it and lunges at him and he steps to the side and he just clatters into a hitherto unseen gigantic mess of barbed wire. <laughs> he does matador him fully, doesn't he? He does, yeah. <laughs> Why's got their big? Why's got their big cloaks? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the force. Someone yeah. CG that in. It's a good, it's a nice little callback to Saw One though. Mm-hmm. Like him experimenting <laughs> with barbed wire, you know, like we all do. Like you do. Just imagine if Sizzle just clattering into that barbed wire, and they're just being like a really dramatic Darren flamenco guitar style. <laughs> or the aftercap where John goes, for fuck's sake, I'm going to have to untangle that so I can use it again now. Uh, you're just looking at it and being like, 
<laughs> the work never stops, does it, John? The work never stops. The sub up four. It's not a million miles away from what's been done before. We know the saw formula at this point. We know someone's going to have a series of tasks to go through. But the tasks in this are really good. They're generally gnarly. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, we've not even mentioned Eric's death, which is one of the most horrible ways I could think of dying. Two pieces of gigantic ice smashing your head in. Poor This is quick. Painless, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but... Still in a second. Apart from cold feet. So, now, now we mentioned Eric's death. As I say, it's just a further illustration of how gnarly the deaths actually are in this one again. So you made my point for me, that's absolutely fine. The Kramer backstory, while being a little bit bolted on, I can understand they had to try to flesh him out a bit. And the twist with Hoffman being involved, while everyone may turn around and say, yeah, couldn't possibly have seen it coming from the shiftiest character on record. But no, the twist does work brilliantly at the end, and that is why... Four is my pick for best Saw sequel. My shout for this is Saw 6, um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Saw 6, the events of Saw 5 have largely passed without incident, apart from the fact that Stram is now dead. Uh, and, like, like I, I agree with you, Mitch, um, that you, when you said earlier, that kind of, like, the entire contrivance of 5 and how it ends is terrible. <laughs> but, like, um, but the end result is good and the death is fun. Um, basically, in your A story, and the one that's kind of, like, running through the entire thing, uh, Jill, John's uh, ex-wife, has been like very, like is very, very much back in proceedings now, and kind of has way more influence and way more clout than she did before. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you've got Hoffman, who's still kind of like trying to hold the game together, but also the net's kind of closing on him. So a lot of the stuff that you see in this one feels way less police procedural than some of the others, and it's a lot more uh, him kind of trying to cover his own tracks trying to tie off loose ends and stuff, which I think is generally a little bit more exciting. The B story is what I think is probably the franchise's first real attempt at social commentary when the kind of main guy going through the tests is uh, William, this, like, very ruthless, bureaucratic health insurance, like, private health insurance, like, mogul, who seems to have this formula that is very much slanted against people trying to get like, denying people coverage and denying people's plans for these kind of like really frivolous technicalities. One of the people who did that to you was John Kramer. So basically the entire kind of metaphor that they're going for with this is that well, he's quite happy to sit and make life or death decisions every day from behind a desk. He then is going to have to do it in this very like intensely literalized way right in front of him. I think that that's class. I think that, um, the examples that they give for that are all really fun, and I think that they're all kind of in service to that point quite nicely. Where this eventually goes, well, first off, we almost lose Hoffman at the end of this. Jill puts the reverse bear trap on his head. We are denied seeing that fully work again, because he manages to rip it off his own face in the film's final frame. Also, we find out that when William gets to the end, we've kind of been, it's another classic kind of like, distracting you with the left hand while the right well the right hand does the trick kind of thing where you're very you kind of assume that the woman and son who are kind of like spectating on William Strap are his wife and son. They're not. They're the wife and son of someone who died as a result of being denied coverage from one of William's health plans. Um, so you get this very cathartic kind of revenge moment at the end of that, which I think is amazing when the acid kind of burns in from the inside out. But yeah, Sussex, it moves the story where it needs to be. It sets up a finale that I don't think really pays off, unfortunately. But I think that it does a lot of heavy lifting to get there in a way that is never really boring. It feels like it's really traveling rather than kind of like 
it, it does in this kind of a necessary amount of explanation, I guess, and kind of investigation. But it feels like it's got a lot more forward momentum. The B story is super fun. Uh, also, this film has the longest trap in the in the entire franchise. The carousel trap is eight minutes long, and the time it takes him to decide which ones of those people die, you could listen to Master of Puppets. It's also just for the sake of trivia. It's the first time that Jigsaw's face has ever appeared in a pre-recorded video. And it is also the first time that a Billy puppet appears in person to explain a trap rather than on the screen. Which are not particular arguments to strengthen why I think it's the best one. They're just fun facts. But yeah, I uh, I think it's great. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm gutted. Uh, But I'm not gutted. I said before we started all this, I actually didn't care which saw I had to play for best. I didn't care. But I I was edging on six. And then what? It is so good, and when it finished, I was like, oh, it's so fucking good! I'm like, oh, I can't believe when it gets six. <laughs> um, it's amazing. The traps are brilliant. I, I remember, like, when we first went to see it, Mercer, and you um, you particularly liked the one, the trap where he's got his secretary and the perfectly healthy guy who works for him, and she's crying when they're on the, they're going to be hung, and you really like him that trap and how I don't want to say sensitive but how much feeling it had in it it, it felt like they, they were really humanising them which they haven't done for a while it's like the most pointed at exactly what they're trying to lampoon which is like the algorithms of health insurance mm-hmm. where they say that their algorithm is based on someone's kind of like value of life or age and they've got yeah this this older lady and this younger guy so initially he saves the younger guy but then they say well the older lady's got a loving family and the younger guy's a bit of a creep who just acts on park benches and it has no family i love that i think it's so funny it's a great metaphor it's a, it's a great trap but too and it's like this is a woman she is older she has lots of family and friends this is a young guy who's really healthy, but he's an absolute nobody who has no friends and no family. If he was to die, literally no one would care. <laughs> That's another thing I think that like I think that the the traps are like pitched at a really nice level and nastiness, but also visually like really, really good layer of grime as well. Yeah. I think I think as well with Saw Six is you've got the uh, obviously throughout every Saw you get some sort of backstories, you know, a flashback to John and what he was doing before it became Jigsaw. Um, but with this one, you can you can actually see the reason why Jigsaw would be pissed off. Do you know what I mean? Like before, like I said, there's really sometimes weak links in the traps, in the people he's getting in the traps. But this time, you get a genuine reason as to why he could go after this guy. And they've met in person as well. We've actually met in person and they've had discussions. So it's someone who he actually knows as opposed to just taking someone from the street. He actually knows this guy. Mm. I wish this had been the one where they got where, where they go. Oh no, actually, I understand the health insurance business model would collapse if you didn't actually make these judgments and these decisions. I'll be on my way and just go done. Yeah, it's like well, the, the like the real criminal here is the entire intrinsic system of private healthcare. I'm not going to ascribe all of that to you, William. It's like that would be like way more anticlimactic. It's like <laughs> <laughs> you're the victim of a broken system. It, it does also bring us probably um, Kramer's best line in any so film ever that he ever says, Piranha. Piranha. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it. What, what's your favourite Joe Dante film, John? Piranha. Piranha. <laughs> <laughs> Matinee. <laughs> can, we go, can we go back through all the cups? Because so many of these are so good. Yes. yes. The 
opening one is so great. And it's the first time it uses a Scream Queen winner. Uh, that was a Yes, Tanita Haru. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's it's a really fun trap as well. Hound of Flesh. Yeah, it's it's gnarly. It's really cool. Love it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the the smoker with the chest clamps. It's ten- it's shot so tensely as well because it's just two blokes holding their breath. Did you guys hold your breath as you were watching it to see if you yeah. could do it? Uh, <laughs> I, I I I didn't do that, but I just found myself kind of forgetting to breathe because it was tense. So. Yeah, I didn't last. I would have died. I tried it, I wanted to die, yeah. And the A Nightmare on Saw Street app as well, where she's having to cr- crawl through the boiler room uh, with all the jets of steam, and he's, like, committing stigma. No, he's having to burn himself, isn't he? He's the slowest in the go. world. She needs to get a move on, because she... <laughs> no, she's proper slow. She's, like, thinking about the new one. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to burn my face off so you can get through this gap. And she's like, yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. <laughs> It's just nice to have the option. <laughs> with, with, like, the gun trap um, in Saw 3, is there any reason why you couldn't go to the other side of the lever in this one to relieve it, rather than sticking his handle where no, across I, it? I think the way the handle, where the handle's placed, he has to lean across in that way. Yeah, but just move to the left a bit and just go, hey, there you go. <laughs> I just like that one because it feels very game showy. I can imagine like John when he was having like a, an off day, like a Sunday, and he sat watching TV and he's watching Crystal Maze, and then he's like, <laughs> "Amanda, come here!" <laughs> now gather around, everybody. It's time to play Wheel of Death. <laughs> Speaking of wheels of death, the carousel trap is yes. one of the best traps of any saw ever made. Yeah, it's incredible. It's... It is. It's great. Um, I, I think that it's probably like it's probably my, my favorite like ridiculous whole room trap out of any of those. Like of that class of trap, it's probably my favorite one. I also love the fact that it opens with that amazing kind of like smash aerial shot of it. I like. I love. Like I. I also just like you know how it's got the kind of spiral from Billy's cheeks painted on it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see it from the visual again, I just like the idea of him being like, you know, what would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> But John, they're all facing outwards. No one can see that spiral. Yeah, it's cool. I'll know. I'll know. The um, the carousel trap as well. I love the fact that they actually all know each other. That they work together on a daily basis, so they know who's going to be lying, who's going to be telling truth. He's not pregnant. Yeah. I love any trap that forces as as humans to act in the way that that trap does, which is that instinct to protect yourself at yeah. any cost. Yeah. Yeah, when they're all trying to like sell each other out. Yeah. It just kinda reminds you how shit humanity is. But like you put yourself in that position, you're like, well, you don't want to be the one to die, so you're gonna set and do whatever you possibly can. Um, even if that's sending your work colleagues down the river, you're just like, mm, rather them than me. Yeah. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget as well, um, that that trap gives us one of the best overacting moments of any film. <laughs> you oh, look at me! You look at me as you're killing me! Someone were having the five minutes of fame, weren't they? Jesus! That, that guy's incredible. Like, that, that entire bit when he realises he's going to die and he just starts screaming obscenities at him, fucking ends me every single time. You fucking mother! You Because he does, he sounds so much like a fucking angry cartoon rabbit, doesn't he? It? It's, it's so good. <laughs> Oh, that dude's the best. He's great. 
I think that again, I think like the, like the way this eventually kind of like pulls it into an ending is great. Like again, when it's it's, it's another uh, forgiveness thing, I guess. When um, the, we understand what the live die switch in these people's cells are for, um, and they make this call to kind of like uh, to pump him full of uh, to pump William full of acid and kill him, and like uh, again, like see, there's a couple of visuals in this that I don't think are played for laughs that really make me laugh. And I don't grudge it at all. Like, um, like, see, see when he's like pumped with acid, and you're getting all the other twists happening at the same time when Hoffman's trying to get free of the trap and stuff. And then the final shot of that that you get is just like his like his like trousers and like dissolved torso just like flopping onto the ground in slow motion. <laughs> it's fucking preposterous, but I love it. Brilliant. With that, tra- with that trap as well, the live die thing. There's a scene earlier on where. The kid's trying to work out what it is. It's like, I can't think what it is. It doesn't even work. And she goes, I know. And then don't tell him. It's like, you're in a fucking room together. You, you, you know, your life's potentially at risk. You tell your son what you think your theory is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Father, we're looking at it like, care to fucking narrow it down then, Mom? Also, not being funny, right? But if she does know, then why does she act so shocked when Jigsaw then explains what she needs to do? She didn't know all along. She just braved out. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. No, yeah, of course I did. Yeah, easy. Um, yeah, like I, I just I, she's, when she said that, she's just wrong. She's like, I know it's a random box that is broken. <laughs> no power to it. It doesn't work. She's just actually thinking it's just a box. That's it. It's like yeah. it's, it's a box clearly. It's a fancy Idiot. box with arbitrary words painted on it. It's for show. <laughs> if you open it, it's full of packing peanuts. <laughs> and then when he appears again, you're like, wow, I was way off. <laughs> That's so wrong. Sometimes you just try to admit when you're beat. Yeah, so, so sakes, I'm gutted, I didn't get it because fucking admit, oh my god, and we get Stabby Stabby Hoffman in Stabby six. Stabby Hoffman. Stabby Stabby Hoffman, yes. Um, to the tune of Titty Titty Bang Bang. Um, well, I, I, I like a bit like Gabby Hoffman, you know, from Uncle Buck. <laughs> the little girl from Uncle Buck. Stabby Hoffman. Gabby um, Hoffman. I love that sequence, like, when uh, he kind of, like, I mean, uh, it implicates him massively, and that's never really explored. But, like, um, when they're kind of, like, deciphering his voice, and he's like, trying to figure out what to do, and the voices get like that, right now you're feeling helpless line, as they're unscrambling it and sending more and more like him. I think that the tension in that moment's great. Oh, it's brilliant. It's great, but what's bizarre is the way that both, like, uh, Perez and other policeman, I don't know his name, talk to him as if, like, we know something about you, Hoffman. It's like, all the way through that, it's like, we know your little secret. But then they don't know. Yeah. Just look at arrested if you've got a suspicion. There's, there's, there's two, two things with that scene. Firstly, I find it weird they have, they have to have an off-site team who deals with the technical bits that they actually need deciphering. Probably because someone's been running around buying up every building on the water for it. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't expand. And then second, secondly, she's got a keyboard there as well for dramatic tension, should you need to add it into any case to work it. It's just like, oh, I'm sorry, this, 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 this doubles up as a music studio. I'm also a jingle writer. Every other building in the city is owned by Art Blank. The building itself, like it's a bit seen, like you come down them like cellar stairs yeah. into high tech kind Aye. of open windows studio. Yeah, it's weird. Stabby McStabby said, my, I, I do like that scene. Like it's it's kind of erotic, not not the stabby, but that erotic kind of moment where he's like, "Who knows about me?" She's like, "Everyone." 
So you now, you're now you're now admitting that you think this is erotic. So when no, no, I no. said in the cinema at the time. Oh. Not the stabbing. I don't find people being repeatedly stabbed to death erotic. It's the way she like looks him in the eyes and goes, everyone. And then he's like, you lame bitch. And then stabs her one last time. And you're like, all right, yeah. There's a bit of sexual tension between them two at that moment that you kind of think he's going to do that, brother. Not for stabbing, but near death. No, I'm not aroused. Are you sure? Well, well I'm, I'm holding myself in a very precarious position right now. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was just going to say, Paul Perez, the fact that she survived in Saw 4, getting the Billy Doll to the face, to, only to come back and, you know, find a partner's dead, and then she dies against someone I feel sorry for. It's quite ignominious death, given how much she's been through as well. Like, the characters totally just, like, dispensed with. But, like, also, see, when she came back, I was like, oh, my God, she's still alive. And I was like, oh, she didn't get her head blown off with a shotgun. It's like, you know, like, she had shards of ceramics in her face. Like, yeah. like but for some reason, like, when that happened, she just disappeared. I was like, oh, that'll be her dead then. When she came back, I was like, you survived those facial injuries? It's just one way into a neck, didn't it? I think that's what it were. Mm. They say she's died. Like, the whole point in five is, is like, oh... She's dead. So for me, like, when, it, when she comes back in six, I'm just like, what a pointless lie in five. I like, think they really, really struggle to prop that up, don't they? Well, they're obviously yeah. trying to catch out Hoffman, aren't they? And, you know, rather than doing the sensible thing of arresting him so that other people can't die, they're just waiting it out. But, yeah, to summarise, Saw 6 has the most fun with the B story, I think, especially of the later sequels. Um, and I think that it's central B story and wider point that it's trying to make. I think that like it actually makes it with a kind of clarity that the sixth entry in a series like this has no business making. I think that it handles that really quite well. It's still really super trashy, but I think that the actual commentary stuff is like really fun and still like quite prescient. I think it's great. I've gone brave, apparently, according to Mitch. Um, I've gone with so. Don't you be shaking your head at me, Harrod. I've gone with the final chapter. So six is the best. I'm going to say that right now. But this is the second best one. This brings together everything that any Saw fan ever wanted right from the beginning. Because I was lucky enough to see every single Saw film at the cinema every year. And when Dr. Gordon just disappeared, everybody were, well, when's he coming back? And every time there was a new twist, he said, well, it's got to be Dr. Gordon. Dr. Gordon got to be involved. And he wasn't. But this one... He fucking was. Now, can you imagine if you'd have ended a franchise not involving Dr. Gordon? The the uproar from fans would be ridiculous. As a deadly battle rages over Jigsaw's brutal legacy, a group of Jigsaw survivors gather to seek support of self-help guru and fellow survivor Bobby Deegan. And it turns out that Bobby was never in a trap and he's just lying about it to get money, uh, profiting from it. And... I want to say Jigsaw finds out about it, but it could be any one of the people involved at this point um, and takes him and his friends into a trap and sets them up to play the game for real. And obviously in the background, you've got the whole Hoffman story still going. He's still at large. I don't know if they know it's him at this point, but Jill comes forward and offers up information to say, if you protect me, I'll tell you everything you want to know. We'll finally put this to rest. Just want it sorted now because Jill's smart. And Jill wants it done with. She don't want to carry on with fucking tapes and whatnot. Feel sorry for Jill. She got dragged into this when she didn't want to be dragged into it. But, you know, some sort of debt to your fucking husband, you know. Don't you expect this, Chris? I'm not doing this kind of shit for you. If this is what you plan on getting into. Yeah, it, it wraps up everything 
really well. Well, kind of, kind of wraps stuff up well. There's still some things at the end that are left undetermined, like who's helping Dr. Gordon. But you do find out in Jigsaw, which we don't like mentioning, that there are other people involved as well. So it absolutely makes sense mm-hmm. if you want to look at it like that. I think a lot of my basis for picking this as my, as my film is the wrap-up with Dr. Gordon because it's brilliant. It's a brilliant way to bring it in. It absolutely... It, I kind of got just, like, vindication from it in that when we watched Saw 2, you saw somebody with a limp and straight away I was going, that's going to be Dr. Gordon because he cut his foot off. Why would it not be? And then they're like, oh, no, it's Jigsaw, it's real. Fucking wasn't. It was Dr. Gordon. I was right. I was fucking right all along. And it, ex- it, it explains how um, all the medical procedures were being done, how keys were getting behind eyes, how shit were being burnt into teeth and whatnot. You know, I love Dr. Gordon. Although, oh, Jesus, when he first walks in on that self-help group, he's, he's a hammy pantomime villain. Is he? Like, I don't know where that that voice came from. Because he didn't have that voice in Saw. I only watched this just recently. Um, and I liked it more on this watch than I did before. I think that it's nice that Dr. Gordon came back, but I kind of wish that he wasn't so much of a centerpiece in how it pays off, because I think that the way that they do it, he, like, shows up in the first ten minutes and, like, fucks off for 70. So when it gets to, like, the third act, I was like, well, I guess he's Jigsaw then. I'm not entirely sure how much Carrie Elwes wanted to be part of it again. I mean, well, he did sue them, didn't he, in 2005, um, after the first one, because he was, because I think that he was, like, it was, like, written into his contract, he would get, like, 1% of the profits on the back end, and apparently he didn't get that amount, and it was settled out of court. So I actually think that there's something kind of weird about the fact he comes back at all. Yeah, there's an early script as well, for Saw 3, where the character that eventually became Lynn was originally in Lee when I was, like, first treatment was going to be Dr. Lawrence coming back. Oh. Oh. Which... Obviously, we, I think it's in this one that we learn that Dr. Lawrence suggested Lynn as the surgeon. But that baffles me because Dr. Lawrence is, is the oncologist and he was Kramer's doctor. Mm-hmm. So, like, why couldn't he just go down and knock him out? Like, he's not a brain surgery. But Lynn's not a brain surgeon either. She, she's a surgeon, but she's not a brain surgeon. Brain surgery is very specific. I, don't, I think... You know. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how many people know that Dr. Gordon's still alive. Because obviously he's helping Jigsaw. But, like, does his wife know? Does his kid know? Oh, Is he yeah. back with them? Like, Everybody knows because he goes to them groups openly and, and Jill drops off the letter for him in his in his office. Yeah, yeah good point. Yeah. So he's still working. Everybody knows he's alive. We just never hear about him again. Well, I I do like this one in regards to... I like the story for this one with the the fake survivor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I imagine that is something that, you know, it's quite feasible, somebody profiting off other people's misery by fake, faking their own story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do enjoy that. What does confuse me is, again, with timeline, because it's so many years after that he gets punished after John's met him, because John meets him. Yeah. He signs his book for him, and it's just like, we've, we must have gone at least several years, because... Well, yeah, because he's married and stuff, and he's been married for quite a while. So. Yeah. yeah. Why wait so long for this, to punish this person? 
because with anybody that Jigsaw brings in, you you never know when it's going to happen. It could, that's why you know, like he's saying to he says to Hoffman in one of them, you know, you think you're going to go untested, you know, you know, he, he waits. That's what he does. I think again, not to shit on the movie, but I think my problem with the whole Doctor Lawrence thing is that I feel like it's the writing of people that go people like this franchise for big twists and reveals. And it felt like no one in the room went, yeah, but what's the point of the twist and reveal? So like you said, you don't get his backstory. You don't get like what he's been doing in time. There's no real thought to it other than just, hey, we'll bring him back and everyone will go, oh, that's that one from number one. It's, it's, I think it's really undermining and mistreating fans of the franchise. It's playing us for dumb that we will be just blindsided by someone that we knew from the past. I was. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like an underwritten cameo for me. It is an underwritten cameo, but I also think that throughout the entire series of the films, we all know that Kramer is good at building things, but surely we all ask the question, like, how does he perform these surgeries without, you know, he's not a surgeon. How does he do Especially in his days of nearly dying, it's like close yeah. to death. You know, it's going to be out of it. So, to me, I think, yeah, it's kind of underdeveloped, but they needed an explanation. I needed an explanation as a watcher, a viewer, on how some of the things that he does are done, because I know it can't be him. I know it's not Amanda. Uh, and Hoffman are just, well, he's a bit heavy-handed, isn't he? So, it won't be him. Yeah. I think in their minds as well, I think they do think they're doing fans a service because it's giving them exactly what they've wanted for, like, eight years or something, and never got it. I I think it's them, but it's them patting themselves on the back saying, yeah, we're we're doing them a service, but actually not giving us a service because they're not giving us a good portrait of bringing a character back. But I think the intention was there. That's what I'm saying. I think, you know, however it might have misfired, I think there were good intentions behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And this one as well. Take shit out into public. Like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you get it out there without anyone seeing. I'm going to bypass over that because we don't want to pull it that through. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that it's like it, it, it's a really childish time to start pulling threads and things like that in the seventh film. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's a great trap that one. It's, it's fun. Uh, nice to see some bros coming together to, you know, fight against infidelity. I also think that, like, see, like, I found it really infuriating on first watch for this one that Bobby is so shit in all the traps. I remember watching it and I was like, it's so, he's so terrible at this. Like, everyone dies. It's the only one that I can think of where the guy who was doing the B story fails every time. And it's like, I guess that kind of makes sense, though, because he's like, he was like the one that was kind of falsely profiting from it. And he's obviously just not cut out for this mm-hmm. at all. So, like, it's quite funny that you just kind of blunder some room-to-room killing people the entire time. But, like, um, but it does make sense, I guess. But it took until the second watch or third watch before I was like, actually, this is just me being mad at him for being shit when it totally tracks that he'd be shit. Yeah, because he doesn't know what he's doing. That's the whole thing about it. I mean, Chris was saying as well that there's actually one of the traps that could have been done. It could have easily got her out of it, um, the one with the key down the throat. Mm-hmm. So it's on a string literally put it between your fingers and pull it. Therefore, you're muffling the screams, but you're still pulling, but you're not mm-hmm. hearing the scream. Mm-hmm. That's horrible, by the way. That's, like, such a gross thing. Yeah. I just really want to quickly circle back to the first trap, because something I observed this time which just really, really made me laugh. I don't particularly like it um, as a trap itself, but 
because I think it looks a bit cheap. And also, well, there's two things that I observed. One is that when people are trying to break down the window, someone decides to use, even though there are metal chairs around them, a flimsy leather briefcase. I know. <laughs> the, window. But, but the other thing is that the two lads are wearing matching lumberjack-themed clothes to kind of <laughs> tie in with the shop diorama, which then thus means that in capturing them, Hoffman had to strip them naked and put them in a fitting matching outfit with each other, which is a lot of extra planning. I'm glad we went back to the first one, because there's some guy I love, I love as well with that. Not that we're picking things apart. When, when she's being cut open... And the dude runs, runs up and goes, somebody help her as a gut hit, hit the floor. I know you, you I'm he needs some not, milk. I'm not, yeah, I'm not expecting people on the street to have medical degrees. Someone's insides are off the floor. I've been there past help. Isn't a doctor in the crowd? I like the way the police just run through and do nothing, just turn around and start pushing people back. I feel like a lot of people have been quiet on everything else we've been discussing. It gets to mind and everyone's got a fucking opinion. Everyone's got a line, yeah. Did, did ours have a dream sequence death in it? No. Oh, Jesus Christ. But you've got to remember, right, this was for 3D. So you, you had to put some shit in that were going to fly. You had to do it. But... <laughs> It's just so funny. It's like, I, I mean, this, you know, it's rollercoaster, isn't it? The problem with 3D is when they start working just for 3D and not for the story of the film. But and that, that's that was what, very common. Yeah, but that specific, that, that scene specifically looks bad. Like, the, everything, like, it looks like green screened and terrible but like I said I, I actually enjoy this film a lot more than I thought I did and I think the payoff at the end with his wife is probably one of the more upsetting there's so many people in this one where I go up, like the um, crazy lady crazy you're crazy lady crazy <laughs> um, <laughs> what's his name uh, it's Chad Danella, but I don't know what his character's name is. Him? Uh, Gibson? Is it Gibson? Gibson, yeah, that's right. Gibson? Right, so, like, poor Gibson, like, saw somebody get brutally shot in front of him, then had to endure going through, like, dobbing his boss up, and then he gets promoted and he gets, like, shipped off somewhere else. Then he gets threatened by Hoffman. Then he gets fucking blown up by Hoffman. Poor guy. Like, he actually did nothing wrong. Again, Jill didn't want any part of this and never did. But she carried out his final request and look where it got her. It got her in the reverse, in the reverse fair trap, which you do get to see work now, Ben. So you've seen it working and you've seen what it can do. There you yep. go. Yep. That's, um, fan, that's good fan service. That's yeah. Excellent fan service. Uh, yeah, that's actually, that's actually, I think, that, like in terms of like the things that you wanted payoffs on, that was reasonably high on my list. And also poor Joyce. Because all Joyce did was marry someone who she thought was in a trap and did nothing but support him, support his career, love him, and she gets fucking burnt up. Very true, yep. That's what gets me mad about sometimes with Jigsaw, the fact that she isn't aware of his lie, so she's actually an innocent throughout Mm -hmm. it. She's not got a challenge, she's not got anything to repent for or to to be sorry for or to try and justify yourself for. Yeah, like, for somebody who, like, has such a moral through line through all of his killings, he does get really blasé about collateral damage sometimes, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
Now, I don't want to shit on your film fair, but also what I find a problem with this one is it's like we it, it is like they've gone. Uh, we've got these trap ideas. So let's do the street one randomly. Let's do this this room where we just for no reason, this person that we've never seen before in our lives, we get to see her escape her trap. I'm like, why? Who is this? Woman? So I believe that this is where Spiral is going to come in. Like Chris was saying, you can't obviously show every body of work that he's done because it'll just go on forever. And I think what it's going to be, as Jigsaw tried to do and failed fucking miserably, is to bring other people into it. And I believe that Spiral Book of Saw from the Book of Saw is going to be a cult. It's going to be like the dotted all over the place and Ooh. we're all carrying out the way. I think it's going to be. I do. I, I hope it is. A lot of people have been saying that they think the book is going to be like jigsaw traps and his engineering work and how to do it and stuff like that. I think it's going to be like a Bible. It's essentially be, be like them fucking... That'd be very cool. It didn't even mm. occur to me. I just, I, just, I just took that to be a naming convention. It didn't, I, I didn't even consider that at the time. I saw earlier from the far from the book as well it's, it's set in a different city so yeah See, so, mm, yeah. I think it's going to be a, and I think that's going to be like the thing with the show in the girl might not have even necessarily been Jigsaw that's doing it might be someone else and they just think it's Jigsaw maybe there's a lot of people in them survival in that in that survivors group even before that we see news footage of people surviving Jigsaw's okay. traps so you yeah they, like yeah, she's got the girl on the news who it doesn't yeah. tell you how she survived. There's a lot of work for, well, at the at this point now it's four people. Jigsaw, Amanda, Gordon and Hoffman are all involved somehow. And then we do learn in a further film there's a fifth person, randomly. See, the numbers keep growing. Yeah, I think that is interesting. I think, for me, the, I just want to know what the other two people were in the mask. Who are them two people? Well, like Mitch was saying earlier, you were comparing him to Manson. And having, like, the family, maybe it's the family, the people who worship him and want to live by his message that, you know, you should you should be cherishing your life and stuff like that. It all feels very culty, very biblical sort of thing. So maybe if I'm... We, we've not got those answers. We didn't get those answers from Jigsaw. We can hope we do with Spiral, but yeah. can't guarantee. What's your favourite My favourite trap, oh, God, from this one... Probably the eye thing, because it just looks nasty. It's got a very Faces of Death vibe mm-hmm. going on with it, like the, the traps she's in and everything. And, you know, it, it could have held it up. That were a thing with the time. It was holding the weights up, and it said he had, like, 30 seconds to do it. It was way longer than 30 seconds. Like, about a minute and a half past before it finished. But I think, yeah, I, I, I do like that one. I like the one with his friend, though, as well, on the plank, where he's got to throw him the key. What about Tessa Bennington in the anti Oh, shit, yes, that's it. That's the one. That's the reason why this film is great, because Chester Bennington is in it. Yeah, and he, he he tries so hard and gets so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> that whole sequence is gnarly as fuck. I, I think the worst one being the tyre on the face. Because um, yeah, when, right. cool. when they come back to check her later, you can actually see her teeth spattered oh. out. It's just fucking gone. <laughs> And that was the trap where I went, way! <laughs> <laughs> and that's the second Screen Queen winner. Is it? I, I, do, I will say that, I think the franchise is a bit, of, any film that is willing to give a part to someone who wins a reality TV show um, is probably, like, 
really scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes oh. to like what they can cast. Oh, I think it's fine. They like it. Yeah, want a spotlight young talent. Yeah, Glee did it, so Saul can do it. Oh, the paragons of good taste. Glee and Saul together at last. <laughs> Don't rule it out, we've not seen Spiral yet. <laughs> Leah Michelle. Leah Michelle. She might get all of the muscles in her legs turned into prit sticks for being a racist, who knows? But well, she is a racist, so we, we don't like her. To, to try and sum it up, I guess, I'm trying to get this, yeah. Um, oh, Jesus, of course. Obviously Hoffman dies in this one. So after his reverse bear trap Jill... The way he gets to Jill is quite clever, I think. Paul putting himself in a body bag. It's like, what a surprise. So, and I love that. Fucking great. Um, but yeah, he does eventually get killed. Well, we, we don't know if he's got killed, do we? He's just been left in a room at that point because he wakes up in the original store bathroom, which is iconic. And uh, Carrie Ellis has tied him up. And oh, I love the way he looks at that fucking jigsaw. I know you're not going to love it. I know. I can see on both your faces, Mercer, Mitch, that you fucking hate it. I don't care. I love that scene where he just goes, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then just flings it away. I'm like, oh, my God, yes. So good. And uh, that's how it ends. It's done. So we don't know if Hoffman is actually dead or not. Someone could come and break him out. He could get out. He could be left to rot. Who knows? Who the fuck even cares? He'll, he, he'll turn up at the end of Spiral 7. <laughs> <laughs> In the exact same way that Dr. Gordon does, though. He just goes to a self-help group and goes, yes, I know. I want to say that the, the, the Chester Bannigan trap is one of the ones that I think is the most like a Wallace and Gromit machine. Yeah. <laughs> like, big, big mousetrap vibes off that, I think. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, apart from the guy who's, like, strapped to the door, all he does is get run over. That's he, all it he is. He's got his limbs tied up, doesn't he? He gets, like, split in two, I thought. It, he, dra- he drives through him. Yeah, he gets, the one he moves away from, he gets shit ripped off of him. And the other one just gets run over. And the other one just gets run over. So he got off pretty light. He might still be alive somewhere. He might still be alive as well. Like, his back's all messed up. <laughs> but And he, he went through the windshield. But loads yeah. of people through the windshield. Loads of people have. I think he might have died from the shock and pain of having to rip his skin off. I mean, what industrial glue are you using to glue that down? Because, I mean... Got him crawling in his skin there, didn't it? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Are we, just doing every, are we just doing every Linkin Park song as a pun? Yeah. It could have been, been Death by Papercut. Ah, oh. <laughs> Guys, we've got to stop this. I'm just sitting here waiting for the end. <laughs> to to sum up it's not perfect final chapter but I do think that it's trying to give its audience the ending that we always want to stop laughing you two Jesus Christ Fair. honestly the only reason I'm laughing is because your summary is pretty reminiscent of most of my summaries when I know that the film's not that good um, it's, it's almost an apology to everyone. No, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not making an apology for the film. It, it's a film I go back and watch. It's a film I enjoy watching. Because it, it just suckers me in for some I mean, I'm not saying for some reason. The reason it suckers me in is because I love the ending of it. And I love what it tries to do. So, 
That's why I, <laughs> it's not going to win. I know it's not going to, but it doesn't matter. There was no losers here at all because we discussed so for a few I hours. Agree. So. Um, there are so many times when I pick uh, films for one-on-one episodes of our show where I get to the end of it and I can't, re- you know when you've just been argued and delivered and you can't really rationalise why something's good you just have to be like, its heart is in the right place. <laughs> That's the get out card, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It has honourable intentions. Oh. Any any more thoughts on so on Spiral? That- I'm very excited for Spiral. I am buzzing yeah. for Spiral. I think that um, I didn't expect it to go down a road that looks so much like Seven and stuff like that. I think that it's like slightly jarring that there's so much star power attached to it, but I'm absolutely yeah. ready to give it a try. The trailer totally showed me. I'm really excited. Yeah. And surprising choices for star power as well. It's yeah. Not like, it's not like horror star power, so to speak, like Chris Rock being attached to it. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure I can go on with Chris Rock being in it. From the trailer, not, not in any horror way, just in, from the trailer, I don't think he's that good. He's shouting in it. Yeah. But he's a shouting man. I'm, I'm hopeful the film's going to be great, but I'm just true. I'm from the trailer, I'm struggling slightly with Chris Rock. A lot of people seem to have concerns about the cast. But then if you look at Saw, Danny Glover went from a horror background. Neither were Carrie Elwes. Neither was Carrie Elwes, no. It's not, it's not the background that they're from, per se, for me. So I'm, I'm concerned about Spiral and I'm concerned about Chris Rock because watching the trailer, I just found some of his performance to be over the top, as if he's, he, it would be... Like, what he'd do for comedy, but he's having to do it serious. He had kind of, like, energy behind it. Like, I, I feel like he's a little lost. But that's just from a trailer. Um, I'm hopeful the film is going to be good, but I guess it's got such a tough fan base to try and please that I, I imagine it's probably going to be instantly slated because I... of it taking a step away from So. I think if fans sat through four and five, then we're all right. You know, Toby Bell's in all eight jigsaw f- uh, films. It's been a while since I saw the trailer because I don't want to overanalyze it, but I saw something in the trailer that did make me think that the, it was going to reference him in some way. It might reference him, but he's not going to be in it, and I think he's such a staple for Saw. Like, and obviously they have to move away from him because he is dead, and we know he's dead. But, you know, he, he did, like I say, he was in one through to eight, and then this is just going to be such a departure from that sore world that's been built up. You might not need to discount him so easily because, obviously, you saw a lot of um, Jigsaw, Kramer, John, whichever you want to go with. You saw a lot of him through flashbacks and things that had happened previously. So there's nothing to say that in Spiral it could be, if it did go the way I wanted it to be, it was him teaching these people and showing these people how to do stuff. We, I don't right. think we can rule anything out, is what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. And I'm just thinking, when, when So 3D first came out, there was no mention of Carrie Elwes on IMBD or anything like that. It wasn't until the film actually played and the twist was revealed that it was published as being mm-hmm. in it. Maybe, you know, it could be somewhat similar that they yeah. just don't reveal. I don't mean to backpedal too far. Can I just shake, can I just shake something up really quickly about So 3D? Yeah. Just, just like, um, did you guys know that David Hackle was originally supposed to direct this, and Kevin Greuter, that directed Saw Six, was supposed to be working on Paranormal Activity Two, and Paranormal Activity had thrashed Saw Six at the box office the previous year, 
Um, and then um, Lionsgate, like, very abruptly sacked David Hackle and invoked this, like, clause in Kevin Greuter's contract that he had to come and work on uh, Saw 3D. So when he turned up two weeks before the shot, he performed a compressed rewrite on the script, and I am very curious to know what changed. Mm. I'd like to posit something. I want to go out on a limb here. I've got three things. One, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that I think, okay, shoot me down, I think there might be a twist in Spiral yeah. from the book of Saw. Okay. Take. Just think there might be. Secondly, uh, so we're talking about things that we've not yet seen, but maybe have had promise. And this is a really funny conversation I had with, with my partner, Manny, the other day. Um, in that, do you remember one of the marketing materials? I can't remember if it was the six or 3D or Jigsaw, was this like massive concrete Mount Rushmore statue of John Kramer. And Manny went, was that in the film? And I just love that as an idea that there's like this 300 foot statue of John Kramer somewhere. <laughs> I, I never, I never understood that poster. I never understood it. I was like, what is it even meant to be? That that statue is somewhere in that city in a vacant lot that's owned by Art Blank. (laughs) In a a giant red and black cloak waiting to be revealed. Yes, of course. Of course. What else? (laughs) Um, And thirdly, I just wanted to bring a fact. I, I, I think I was from listening to a commentary. Um, oh, no, it wasn't. It was listening to a YouTube video recently um, that I thought was really quite nice and interesting. Um, so the character of Hoffman was named after one of the producers of, I think, the first two films. Oh, sorry. Um, he, was a, he was an active producer on the first two films called Greg Hoffman, who mm-hmm. passed away before the third film. Um, oh. So they named the character of Hoffman, which I don't think is the nicest thing, um, <laughs> after him. But um, they also do credit him as producer on every single Saw film, even though he was alive to kind of con- contribute actively to the film. That's Which very cool. Really, That's nice. really respectful. Yeah. That is nice, yeah. Uh-huh. They've done it with a few of the dire- uh, like few of the crew to character names. I can't remember which ones, but I think it was about three of them that I've noticed throughout the franchise. Okay. So they do like keeping it personal. They do like putting a personal touch on it. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know what else I think is really good what they do? Well, I think it's good anyway, is that we see characters from previous films in the other films, mm-hmm. but the actual actors as well. So, you like, you know, it's quite difficult to get someone to just walk, like, down a street because, you know, we want to link over into the next film. Which or is, a um, um, trap girl. She just go, do you want to ride? Or whatever she says, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. So when you said, like, they bring characters back and it's the same actors, I just immediately just thought of so many, like, one-off characters and just mentally recast them all as Gilbert Gottfried for some reason. <laughs> oh, my God, could you imagine Gilbert Gottfried turning up a car as a hooker? I can't do his voice. I'm not even going to attempt. No, I was going to try it and I just don't have it in me. <laughs> no, we see, like, we see, like, the sister from six in five, the, like, the journalist. At the self-help group, you've got the receptionist mm-hmm. who almost got hung, and then the, the the mother from six as well. I like that because you know it, it keeps, and that's what I mean. It keeps that world the same. We're living in that world. Anyway, that me. And it's it's not a popular opinion of me to say that. Like, quite honestly, with all my heart, so is my favourite franchise. I know people go, well, what about your Nightmare on Elm Street, your Halloweens and stuff. I love all those, but so for me, just feels, 
feels like it belongs to me. It's like an, an, an era where it came out at an age where you can, I could appreciate that sort of, or, you know, you could go to cinema by yourself and watch it and stuff like that. And it, it just felt really special. So I thought. Um, because I came to horror a bit later than like all of you guys did, it was one of the first franchises that I could get really excited about as it was happening, kind of in real time. And um, and it was like a massively like formative thing for me as well. So I think that I'm probably the same. I think I I like I probably could have within reason spoken about any of them as well for the same reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like very close to my heart, but it was really it was nice to get to do this. Well, yes, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon, isn't it? It's something that you waited for each year in yeah. a way that we've not had in 20 years, which is, uh, we've never had. There was, there's never been a franchise before this where there was one every single year, year after year. So it's mm. crazy the turnout. And when you consider that turnout, it's amazing how good it is across the board and how consistent it is as well to its own aesthetic and its own ideas. Like consider every other franchise, maybe apart from Final Destination and they all go off on wild tangents every now and then that some people love and some people get completely derailed by. And Saw never does. I'm not saying it's boring, but it is consistent to what it's setting out to do. And that is yes. so admirable. And yeah. the, fact, I mean, the fact that you have got this 18-rated franchise that permeate, like, at a time where horror wasn't massive, that permeated pop culture so much that now you've got a roller coaster theme to it. You've got people walking around in billy t-shirts and stuff like it is it, it you cannot underestimate how incredibly influential it has been and, and and to be fair that roller coaster is one of the best roller coasters in the uk and it's it fucking amazing and like when, 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 when it first came out and we went we had the theme to go along with it so we waited like three and a half hours to get on i think it were a long time we waited to get on and you had actors inside cages as you're walking up it, it, it was like an american feel that you'd not yeah. had with a uk roller coaster before yeah and mitch which film was it that you said was the first feature of billy coming out practically six well i would like to say that saw the ride at thought park did open before six and it <laughs> does feature billy coming out and warning you practically not on a tv screen nice. Nice. have you been on the ride Ben? i haven't no Good. I I think we, right, I think before we get into roller coasters, we've loved and lost. That, that's going to be a good place to wrap this conversation yeah. up. We'll have the Fort Park roller coaster special out in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. But before then, though, we will have the vote out on Twitter for you to submit your vote for best saw sequel. They're all great. We argue passionately about them, and I think through this, everyone's enjoyed it. So. Vote for whichever one. We'll, we're happy whichever one wins, but please vote. Let us know why you picked it. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SpitGrades. We are iSpit on your grades on Facebook. And if you want to contact us by email, you can reach us at electricpossums at gmail.com. And it just leaves me to thank Mitch Harrod for joining us. Oh, it's been my pleasure, as always. Thank you all so much for this week in, week out. It's always a pleasure. And the other, Mitch, Mitch Bain, thank you as well for joining us. This was great. Thank you so much. Okay, and thank you to Faye and Mercer, as always. <laughs> Cheers. Manilo, Manilo, Costas Manilo, Manilo. Manilo, Costas Manilo, Shawnee Smith, Shawnee Smith, Shawnee Smith, Shawnee Smith. What a shit show. Bye. Lovely. Bye, everyone. <laughs>